playoffs are over and it is time for us Leafs fans to emerge from our slumber. Uh, Nick, the boat is docked for the summer. With lobster biting okay the last couple months or what? Oh yeah, we, we had a great season and again, I'm going to give some love to, to producer T here. He made it through his his first full season of lobster fishing. Uh, there's a lot of guys I've seen come and try it out and not make it through, so really happy that he did and yeah, it was, it was a great season. Uh, crew was great, weather was mostly great, catch was good. Yeah, a good time had by all. I'd say that would be me, but I can't even get to the point where you get me on the boat. You've been trying for several years, and I, I, I don't even get that far. So yeah, well, we had three fifths of the of the LTL group chat out there one day, and we, we were just missing you and Keith. And and, and again, <laughs> speaking of missing Keith, uh, we're without Mister Whipple again tonight, uh, as he's off doing resident cool guy stuff. Yeah, but uh, we'll be he'll he'll be back soon, uh, heading into the regular season. We'll get the the group back together, the band back. Together, so to speak yeah he's racking up those frequent flyer miles uh first 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 time recording <laughs> in about a month um and, and we're still still with how many keith. ballparks has keith been to since then? I, I was gonna say i think it would be a fun game where we just uh we we both have to rattle off places that keith has visited in the last month or two and, and the first one to <laughs> to kind of like freeze for more than three seconds without coming up with one loses you know <laughs> uh, but but we only got about uh, an hour here um <laughs> So, uh, obviously, the draft uh, kicks off Thursday with the first round, so we've got lots of uh, related topics to get into today, but uh, there has been a a bit of Leafs news since we last got together. Um, Specifically today, they made some organizational announcements as they... uh, they promoted a, a few uh, of the front office staff as uh, Dr. Haley Wickenheiser, as well as uh, Daryl Metcalf and Ryan Hardy have all been promoted to assistant GM with the Leafs. And uh, they've also hired Curtis Sanford as the uh, goaltending coach, uh, bringing him over from the Canucks organization and uh, replacing the dearly departed Steve Breer. Um, that made, that made him sound like he was dead. He's just dead to us. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, I, I don't know if you have too much to, uh, offer comment wise on, on, on this, Nick. I mean, I, I think certainly we're all excited to see, uh, Haley Wickenheiser's influence increase a little bit within the organization. Um, but, uh, so some interesting news today. Yeah. It, it seems like uh, a lot of it is mostly just a uh, change in title. I, I think, you know, each of those three will still kind of be operating in their, their primary roles that they were already operating in, but just kind of putting them more on an even keel with the, with the higher ups in the front office. And yeah, again, it, it's just really great to see, uh, Wickenheiser especially continuing to climb the ranks uh, I believe she is the first woman assistant GM in franchise history so yeah one of the greatest hockey players to ever lace them up male or female um, you just can't go wrong having someone like that in your organization it's great to see her continuing to climb the ranks yeah um, like you said no, no real surprises here among this news I don't think although kind of seems like Lawrence Gilman maybe got a bit of a demotion here so I wouldn't be too surprised to see him uh, on the way out the door at well, some point and he's also a guy who's you know drawn some interest from other organizations around the league so it, it, it shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone if in the, the coming weeks or months we see Lawrence Gilman move on to a, to a different role with another organization yeah, 
And it's kind of hard to tell. Like, I think he's got a, uh, what is it, like a governor role of some kind with the Marlies. So, you know, it's always hard to tell when whether it's a promotion or a demotion, but it doesn't seem like a promotion in any case. But other news that has happened over the last couple of weeks, uh, Timothy Lilligren is back in the fold for two years uh, Average annual value, $1.4 million. Um, so a pretty solid number for Lilligren over the next couple of years. He's obviously had a, a really nice season and, and found some, um, some you know, a real spark kind of with, with Mark Giordano uh, when he came over. So it, it's um, nice to see his, you know, deal get done. But, you know, it, it kind of creates a little bit of a squeeze on, on Rasmus Sandin here. Um, so, you know, we'll have to see what that leads to as far as his contract or, um, you know, whether it's going to lead to a, a trade it could very well lead to an offer sheet if, if things don't get done soon one way or the other. So, um, you know, the, the Lilligren signing certainly a, a positive thing, I, I think, but the clock's kind of ticking now a little bit uh, to, to sort out the rest of the blue line. Um, Nick, what are your thoughts on, on Lilligren and kind of getting him locked in at a nice number for the next couple seasons? Well, I thought that Lilligren's season was kind of a, a, a microcosm of his pro career to this point. It was just a, a lot of steady improvement over the course of the year. Um, he's taken significant strides you know over the last few years became a really important piece for the Marlies last season and and it was great to see him capitalize on the opportunity he earned with the Leafs early in the season and grow into a regular NHL player you know it's it seems like he's been around for a while he's still a relatively young player maybe taking him a little while longer to to carve out his place than some people would have liked but he's there now and I I just think that he, he really you know, made a name for himself this past season and, and elevated himself within the organizational hierarchy. I think, you know, this time last year, if you had asked Leafs fans to choose between Rasmus Sandin and Timothy Lilligren, I think it, it would have been uh, tilted pretty heavily towards Sandin. And I think if you asked the, the same group of people to make that call now, a year later, I, I think it would be a lot closer to a split decision between those two. And I think that just really speaks to the season that Lilligren had because Sandine had a, a strong season of his own, you know, before suffering the injuries that kind of derailed his season ultimately. But uh, you, you might recall that uh, almost immediately following the, the Leafs being eliminated uh, by the Lightning in the playoffs, in our group chat, I, I went in and I, I said to you guys, I just have this weird hunch that I can't justify at all, but it just feels like Rasmus Sandin might get traded this offseason. And I still think that it's it's probably not the most likely outcome, but with the, the noise that's kind of been around the situation as of late, I, I think it, it's definitely not... Uh, it's not beyond the realm of possibility. No, certainly not. And, and, you know, you mentioned that about like asking about the fan base's opinion on those two a year ago. Like, I, I think I'd still lean Sandine. Obviously, it'd be closer on a, on a larger scale for, for a lot of fans than, than it was. But I, I'd still lean, lean Sandine. I, I'd be pretty disappointed, I think, to, to see him moved. But ultimately, like, you know, if you, if you want to bring something in, you got to move something. And, and it kind of seems like the, the contractual situation, you know, might not be working in his favor at the moment. Um, but I, I don't. Um, I, 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 I would still be awfully disappointed to, to not kind of get to see him develop uh, further with the Leafs because you know I, I do think that he's got real top four potential. I agree wholeheartedly. I think he's still uh, a very, very important piece to this organization. Whether that is you know as someone who sticks here long term, 
if it does come down to having to trade him, you're not just punting on this player. Like if it does come down to that, you have to be moving him in exchange for a comparable piece. Maybe that fits your roster in, in a different way. You know, like maybe get a, a young forward of comparable upside and comparable age and contract situation. You're just kind of shuffling around the roster just to make the pieces fit a little differently because, as you said, there's a bit of a log jam on the back end right now. You've already got Morgan Riley and Jake Muzzin, at least for the time being, and Mark Giordano on the left side. So you can kind of understand where Sandine is coming from in terms of just kind of wondering where his place is moving forward. Um, but yeah, hopefully it doesn't come to having to move him out of the organization. But if it does, I suspect it will be for a pretty high end piece in return as well. Yeah, uh, it'll all shake out over the next couple of weeks because, again, you know, Sandine would be a prime offer sheet target and the Leafs just kind of can't put themselves in that situation. So um, presumably it's going to not be something that drags out through the summer and it'll resolve itself, uh, hopefully in short order. Um, A little more Leafs news before we get into some draft stuff. and it's not really news news, but a couple of Leafs pending free agents that could potentially find themselves uh, moved out in terms of moving their rights. Uh, there was some talk about Ilya Mikheyev. I think that we've all come to accept that that is done and dusted. He, he's not going to be back with the Leafs. He's just the, the market is going to be too high for him. Well, the fact that um, it's out there publicly that they've you know been offering up his rights to to interested teams, I think that pretty much closes the book on that one. And been a little bit of talk about Jack Campbell as well and where he could end up. And you know, like we say, Mikheyev was expected. I, and I guess Nick, I, I just kind of felt that the the Jack Campbell relationship would not necessarily extend with with a contract extension but I, I at least thought like at this point in time a week before free agency there would still be some some serious negotiations going on there but it just kind of seems like it's a done deal and, and Campbell's going to be you know tending goal elsewhere next season yeah it does kind of feel that way um the one thing I will say is the fact that it, it is out there and it's been made public that the Leafs are willing to to move Mikheyev's rights and we haven't really heard anything along the same lines with Campbell kind of leads me to believe that there is still at least a, a chance or the Leafs are still kind of weighing their options there, which um, I'm sure we'll get to in a future episode. But the, the options aren't exactly plentiful at, at that position, you know, looking ahead to the offseason here. So I think the fact that they haven't totally publicly shut the door on a, a Campbell return gives me a, a little bit of, of hope that there might still be something to be worked out there. But it, from Campbell's perspective, it, you can't fault him for you know going for the bag, so to speak, on this contract because he, he's a player who's already into his 30s or will be uh, very soon. And he hasn't exactly made a ton of money over his career, you know, relative to to professional athletes. So you can expect that he's going to be trying to cash in on this deal. And and if the the price point just gets too high for the Leafs, they're going to be forced to to look elsewhere. Yeah, both of those guys. I mean, it's, you know, it's more power to them. Happy to see them both get five mil plus, but just know that it won't be with the Leafs if if that's the number, right? So it's, uh, but but again, like you said, it's, this is the time for both of them to get the bag. Like it's, it's, it's it's payday, um, so they shouldn't be settling for less to to return to the Leafs as much as you know we might like that. Um, 
Yeah. So we'll we'll talk a little bit more about you know free agency stuff as as uh, we get further into the off season. But I uh, want to talk a bit about the draft, which is Thursday night in Montreal uh, for round one, and then the rest of the draft to be held on Friday, which is a little different from past years. Um, usually it's a Friday yeah, Saturday deal. It's a I, weird. I don't no, like it. No, it's strange. Yeah, I don't like it. Yeah. Um, it, it, like is this? I, I know that like Saturday would happen like during the day. Is is that going to be the case? Friday is just going to be like a daytime thing. Friday? Friday or is it going to be they're going to wait yeah. till yeah. same thing same regular starting time just moved a, a day ahead so it's it is kind of a strange thing I mean maybe just over the years you get so used to kind of kicking back on a Saturday afternoon and watching the rest of the draft that it'll be a little different on a weekday but you know it is what it is yeah so you have posted your uh, top 100 um, your rankings are up at the if the folks listening haven't gotten a chance to check them out probably a good thing to maybe load up and follow along as we kind of chat about some of the guys that um, that you've ranked and obviously we'll talk a bit about who the Leafs could pick at number 25, but want to start at the, the top of the draft, Nick, because you you kind of bucked the trend here a little bit. Um, this, this seems like a draft. I know that there's always been, you know, um, tension at the top and, and even when it seems like there's a consensus number one pick we, we just we have to make it seem like it's not consensus you know but this year <laughs> really seems like a year where it's legitimate yeah this year. The, the number one pick truly feels up for grabs as we head into Thursday night the the Habs have number one at home Shane Wright has kind of been the almost the destined guy for so long um, but you know it's shaken up over these last few months and, and again a lot of times you know that can boil down to uh, maybe there's a little bit of fatigue with the the top guy. You've had too much time to pick over some of the uh, the weaknesses, some of the the, the problems with the game. But um, I, I mean, I, I having watched like a bit of Uri Slavkovsky, that's that's the guy a lot of people have ranked number one in lieu of Shane Wright. And you know, watching him in, in some of these men's tournaments, the Olympics, the the World Championships, it's like. God, it would be hard to pass up on this guy at one. But that's not who you have at number one, Nick. You've got Logan Cooley from the uh, U.S. National Team Development Program. Why did you settle on on him at number one? Um, is it does it just kind of come down to uh, ultimate upside between him and and Wright and Slavkowski? Well, I, I'll start off by saying, in my opinion, and I think in the opinion of a lot of other evaluators as well, there's a kind of a clear cut you know, three horse race at the top here. And obviously most of the attention for the first pick is, has been centered around Shane Wright and Slavkovsky. But I I think that there are, you know, some people within the league who who legitimately consider Logan Cooley as the top prospect available as well. Um, For me, and I'll, I'll be honest with you. um, This was uh, a decision that I I really kind of struggled with over much of the season, really. Um, And a lot of times, scouts or evaluators or, or or fans even will they'll kind of latch onto a player and have like a, a pet player or a favorite player in a draft class and, and Logan Cooley was that for me all year and a lot of times that doesn't necessarily line up to being you know your top ranked player but right up until I started putting my final list together I had Shane Wright at number one and Logan Cooley at number two and as I was finalizing my list and kind of writing about each player for my rankings article. It, I just had to go with my gut in the end. And I, I'm looking at what I'm writing and thinking about these players and what I've seen over the course of the year. 
and, and I almost like talked myself into hoisting Cooley ahead of Wright at the top of the draft. And for me, it just really comes down to pace and overall the, the way, not to say that Shane Wright is not a, a solid two-way player because he, he inarguably is an outstanding two-way forward. The, 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 the comparisons to guys like Patrice Bergeron, you know, you don't get that with, with every guy at the top of the draft each year, right? Or the, or the guy who's considered to be the best two-way forward in a particular draft. So it, not to take away from Shane Wright at all, I just think that Logan Cooley ha- also has a lot of those same two-way traits and the ability to impact the game in all three zones but he brings so much more pace to the game than what i've seen out of shane wright over the last couple of years and i think that was the maybe the big thing with wright this year for a lot of people was that he may not have taken the quantum leap forward from his exceptional status year in the ohl that a lot of people were expecting and yeah it it mostly just came down to the overall pace and the the way that Cooley just does everything at high speed and can beat guys with his feet, with his hands, with his brain. There's just, for me, there's, there's next to no holes in Logan Cooley's game. And again, you could say the same thing for Shane, Wright, But it's, it comes down to that pace and the ability to kind of just put the opposition on their heels every time you step onto the ice. For me, Logan Cooley's ultimate upside was just impossible to ignore. And, and that's why he landed the number one spot for me. So the the third guy in your ranking is, is Uri Slavkowski, who, like I mentioned, ha- has, you know, really kind of turned some heads this year with his performance against men in, in some big international tournaments, the Olympics, uh, World Championships. Uh, he was at World Juniors as well. Right. And, and, and just yep. has been has been stunning on, on that stage uh, all season long. And I think that's you know ultimately what has kind of propelled him into this conversation. Um, what do you see in, in his game and like h- how much um, I, I guess, like, how do you kind of tier these three and is it um you know more a case of you know he he's a winger versus their centers why is it that you have Slavkovsky at three versus those two at one two a lot of it does have to do with the fact that Wright and Cooley play center but I think for me the bigger thing is Slavkovsky was exceptional on the international stage this year he didn't look like quite the same player playing in Finland in in Liga this year that he didn't make the same kind of impact on a consistent basis in that league as he did on the international stage. And obviously that those international games, whether it be the world juniors or the Olympics or the world championships, what have you, those are a lot more visible for a lot of people and it it grabs a lot of eyeballs and, and, there may be, I, I don't want to say there's an element of recency bias with, you know, Slavkovsky's ascent up draft boards because he, all along, you know, he, he's been one of the, you know, the most highly touted prospects in this class for a long time. I think that he was kind of maybe falling down some people's boards earlier in the season. And the way that he performed on the international stage, as the season progressed and especially like late going into the world championships and things like that, that's what really propelled him and solidified his place in that top tier that I have him in with Shane Wright and Logan Cooley. Um, I just, I feel more confident in 
penciling in Logan Cooley or Shane Wright as a like, kind of like a franchise cornerstone player. And not to say that Slavkovsky doesn't have that potential because he absolutely does. But it, it, there's just a, I'm a little more hesitant to kind of bank on that because of a handful of international games. I, I still have to take into account the way that he played, you know, for his Liga team and the fact that he just wasn't quite as impactful over the course of the season. But all that said, I don't think that the Canadians can really go wrong with this pick if it's one of those three guys. They're all in the same tier for me. I, I could make a case for any of them being the first pick. And as I said in my rankings article, the, the fact that Shane Wright landed at number two on my list was more a credit to Logan Cooley than it was a criticism of Wright because I, I fully believe that both players have the potential to be you know, cornerstones for whichever franchises draft them. And you could say the same for Slavkovsky. Yeah, that frame is appealing. 6'4", 218. Um... He, he's a very unique player, not only in this draft class, but you know, looking around the NHL, right? There's just there's not a lot of guys with that physical frame and the ability to play a power game and kind of layer the the finesse elements into that as well, right? It, it's just a, it's a really rare combination, and that's what you could really understand a team like Montreal taking that swing at the top of the draft. Uh, I will say I I fully expect the pick to still be Shane Wright for this reason alone it's Shane Wright has been the guy for so long right so as a, as a new GM and not to say that this is the right way to think or that he necessarily does think this way but this is the way I believe it will play out is Shane Wright has been the guy basically all along for the most part you know up until these last maybe couple of months or even few weeks we're, we're going all the way back to when Shane Wright was a 15 year old kid he's he's been the guy in this class so if you make him your first pick and he doesn't pan out or one of the other players behind him ends up being the more impactful NHLer, you can always point to, well, everyone had him. He was the guy. He was the, he was the one that everyone had as the, the top player available in this class for so long. If it goes the other way and you take a, a Logan Cooley or a Slavkovsky and that guy doesn't turn into the the player you expect him to be and Shane Wright goes second or third overall even and he becomes what everyone always projected him to be that's a really bad look yeah so I I still think that it's going to be Shane Wright uh, just in terms of he he presents an element of safety with that pick and I, I know no one wants to hear making a safe pick especially at first overall but not all safe picks are created equal. And that's not to say that Shane Wright doesn't have incredible upside because he obviously does. He's got a tremendous shot. He's the highly intelligent player who reads the ice really well, puts himself in good situations, competes in all areas of the ice, and just makes really good decisions. For me, it was just the fact that he didn't really he didn't have the, the same kind of explosiveness or, or that kind of pace to his game that, that I saw and fell in love with with Logan Cooley over the year. Yeah, no one wants to get booed uh, at their home draft with the first overall pick in their first year as general manager, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, you have Cooley, Wright, Slavkowski, one, two, three. I'm just going to run through your the rest of your top ten here quickly. Uh, you got the two defensemen to, to follow, the two top D that, that – Pretty much everyone considers a uh, Simone Nemich and then David Juracek for five. And then you've got Matthew Savoy, Frank Nazar, Joachim Kamel, 
Cutter Gauthier and Denton Matejchuk to uh, round out the top 10. So the Leafs have the 25th pick. And presumably none of the the guys that I just listed are going to be available at that point. But we were kind of chatting before we started recording just about the the Leafs philosophy coming into it. And obviously the Leafs have been, you know, swinging for the fences with a lot of picks in recent years, uh, going for skill, no matter, you know, how small and slight it may be. um, And and just always kind of aiming for for the upside, um, obviously valuing. Uh, hockey skill talent hockey sense um and smarts and and this season and even last season you know we, we talked about this at the time like that that matthew nye's pick was was a little bit of a departure from from that um strict philosophy uh over previous years not to say that he's not a skilled guy as he showed you know with university of minnesota but um I mean, he was, you know, a, a big guy, a guy who had some tools, but, you know, there were questions about about whether he could put them all together. Um, but, you know, he had that frame. Um, so so what are your kind of feelings about where, where the Leafs might kind of take this pick in terms of the the direction, the, the philosophy coming into it? Well, I'll start off by saying I, I, I do think that it, it is maybe a bit rash for the the Leafs fan base or, you know, hockey fans as a whole to kind of have sort of uh, pigeonholed Kyle Dubas's philosophies on team building and drafting after just a few short years. I know that he came in, his, his reputation kind of preceded him in terms of a guy who would be someone who was always looking to trade down and accumulate assets and swing on high end skill, you know, size and projectability be damned. But it is still just a couple of years that we have to judge on. And a couple of those years didn't have a first round pick involved either. So I think that trying to say with any kind of certainty what Dubas and the rest of the front office will be looking for with this pick is it's still kind of a guessing game. You know, there's there's breadcrumbs along the way that you can kind of point to and sort of make your assumptions about what they might be looking for. But for me personally, with the amount of high-end swings they've taken over the, the last number of drafts, and, and you know, albeit a lot of those beyond the first or second round, so for me, it, it's it's gotten to the point where it, it's time to be not totally looking for safe picks necessarily, but you've got to be starting to weigh the NHL certainty and projectability a little more. You've got to hit on this pick. If if you're sticking at 25 and you're making that pick, with the way that the Leafs system is already shaping up with a lot of those, as I mentioned, boom-bust kind of prospects in the system, you you almost have to be guaranteed you're getting a player at this spot who's going to contribute in some capacity in the coming years. So I'm looking at guys who maybe don't have you know, necessarily top line upside, but guys who project pretty safely to be NHL players in some capacity, whether it be middle six or, you know, a four to six defenseman, something like that. I just, I think that it's time for them to start looking in that direction to help kind of supplement the the core that they already have in place, as well as those kind of boom bust prospects that are already in the system. So one of the guys that we were talking about before we started recording, um, a guy that I, I kind of specifically wanted to bring up is uh, Ivan Maroshnichenko, who 
Um, I mean, obviously, this is a, a player who was pretty highly touted coming into the season and, and then, you know, had kind of a nightmare season, um, uh, a cancer diagnosis, um, you know, a, a tough season like on the ice, but but obviously off the ice, extremely difficult. And, and then you factor in, you know, the it feels like this is going to be a draft where the Russian factor comes back with a vengeance like we haven't seen in many years. Right. Um, or maybe seen ever. Yeah, exactly. So Marashchenko, you know, seems like the kind of guy who could very easily slip to the Leafs at 25 and arguably could be a guy who's like a top 10 talent. But um, I mean, I mean, health, you can't really say health issues aside. That is a part of the risk projection. Right. But um, like this would be the kind of player, I guess, that you would probably look to avoid, even if maybe when 25 rolls around, you might look at them as the person with the most upside. But, um, you know, there there's so many question marks that that might put you off. Yeah, th- that's exactly it. Is Every team is in a different situation, right? And, and there will be teams that are better positioned to take that swing on a player like Mirosh Nachenko than the Leafs are, in my opinion. Um, c- kind of in, in the same vein, they already have Rodion Amirov in their system. And I'll start by saying that any hockey-related implications are obviously completely insignificant in relation to what that young man is battling in his real life. Like this is real life shit. He's got a brain tumor. Hockey doesn't matter. That said, it is still a blow to the Leafs organization that a first round pick from a recent draft is someone who, who you can't say with any certainty at all is going to, to make a contribution to your organization. Again, no, that is completely insignificant in relation to to what he's dealing with in his real life, but it it, it kind of just speaks to the the philosophy that that I'm going for here with this draft is th- they need to hit on this pick. They need to get a player out of this pick that is going to contribute to their roster, you know, within the next two to three years. And it just there's already so much so many question marks and risk type players in the system that Mirosh is the, the kind of guy that, as you said, as talented as he is, I think for a team like the Leafs and the position that they're in, there's also too much risk involved to kind of take that swing at the 25th spot if he's there. So, so Mirosh that that's a name that stood out to me as like a guy who seems fairly obviously is going to slip and you know the health factors into that as well and and like i said the russian factor so let's try to take the the health factor out of it a little bit by talking about a couple of other guys because i I keep looking at you know these these rankings and trying to figure out who might slip and it just seems like it's always the russian guys especially this year right so um you know looking at at someone like um pavel mintukov or um, you know, Danila Yurov, like, are, are those the kinds of guys who, um, you know, h- how would you view them? I guess, like, are, are they um, w- worth the risk? Are they guys who are, you know, talented enough that you would jump on them at 25 if they were to slip? Or, or, or are you still looking for a, a little bit more uh, projectability and a little bit more, I, I guess, um, to go a little bit more safe with, with the pick? Well, I think that each of those players is kind of a different situation, right? Minchikov played in the, the CHL this year, so I don't know how much of an impact that will have on Yeah, there's, there seems to be a lot less um, noise around around Minchikov and that, that he should probably 
be in North America. Yeah, the fact that he's already playing over here, I think maybe kind of alleviates some of those concerns for some teams. But I'm sure there still will be other teams that that kind of weigh that that risk. You know, he is still a Russian player, and to say that uh, the situation with Russia is uncertain right now would be a, a massive understatement. Um, it, with with Yurov. He's another guy who's mo- maybe more in the the same vein as Mirosnichenko in terms of like a, a guy who came into the season as a projected top ten pick or, or considered a top ten talent, but he doesn't have the health issues that compound the the Russian issue. So it it, it is a, a different kind of calculus with Yurov and Mirosnichenko. Um, for that reason, I, I suspect that Yurov probably doesn't fall as far as Mirosnichenko might. Um, but it, it's totally wide open in terms of, of what's going to happen with those guys specifically. And yeah, it, it would still be probably enough to scare me off uh, of Yurov, but I, I'd, I'd be more open to considering the, the possibility and taking that risk with him just because it, it, you, you don't have the, the health going along with it. So. Uh, a few other guys that that I kind of wanted to ask you about. There's, there's a couple of guys who play together um, in, in Sweden who I know that you're you're fairly high on, um, and and you ranked fairly high, but but you think there's a chance could maybe get to the least at 25, right? Yeah, well, I th- just in terms of the draft as a whole, it seems like there's a, a lot of variance, not only in like the public sphere, but it, reading stuff from from guys like Corey Pronman or Bob McKenzie, you know, guys who are actually dialed in to the league and have legitimate sources feeding them information about how things are going to go and the way that NHL front offices are viewing these players. It, it just seems like they're it, it's kind of wide open, especially after the you know the top ten picks. Um, a, a guy that I, I'm a huge fan of, Liam Ogren, I have him ranked 11th on my final list. And I've seen, you know, multiple mock drafts as of late where he's falling down to the 20s. And I've actually seen him mock to the Leafs with the 25th pick a few times. So it, it, it's really tough to nail down what's even going to be available at that spot, let alone what the Leafs will be looking for. But Ogren is definitely a guy that's been standing out to me when I'm seeing these mock drafts and kind of projections for how things are going to fall on draft night. And what about Noah Oslin? Yeah, he's another one too for for different reasons. And I don't have him ranked quite as highly as Ogren, but I would would still be quite content with ending up with him at that spot, uh, even if he doesn't maybe offer the same kind of projectability or certainty that I'm I'm talking about with a guy like Ogren or you know, some other players in that range, maybe a Rutger McGrory or an Owen Beck or, or someone like that. I think Osland, even as a player who's maybe not uh, as physically mature, there is a lot of maturity in his game. He's got a lot of skill, can you know set up teammates, make plays for them. He can finish on his own, can carry the puck up ice, but he's also got some, some two-way utility to his game. Uh, I just think he's a player that is maybe a little bit more of a, a developmental project than someone like Ogren, but that's not to say that it, that it would be a, a bad pick in that spot at all. Um, a guy that I haven't watched any tape yet on, but I, I just kind of seem to come away with like a really positive impression every time I read about him is Isaac Howard. What do you think the chances are he's on the 
on the board still at 25. Well, he's another player that's that's really kind of been all over the place as the season has worn on uh, in the public sphere, uh, going up and down draft boards. Um, early in the season, he seemed like a guy that was a pretty surefire top 15 pick. And, and I think that has become less of a certainty as time has gone on over the course of the season. And in watching the NTDP squad, I'm, I've had a hard time kind of wrapping my head around why he's fallen down so many boards. He's a player that I, pretty much every time I've watched that team, he ha- has been noticeable for all the, the right reasons. He's just outstanding skill, a great brain for getting to scoring areas at the right time, and he has the ability to finish on those chances. He, he's not a, the, the biggest player standing at just 5'10", but he, he's stocky. He competes hard. I think he's got a better first couple of steps than than some people make give him credit for. If he is a player that falls to to the Leafs' range, I could totally see him being the kind of player that they would be waiting to pounce on because he offers that kind of a solid mix of that high end upside, but the way that he kind of plays the game is also it's easy to see it translating to the pro level, if that makes any sense. I feel like this probably falls under kind of the category of what we were talking about earlier in terms of a guy who, um, you know, is more of an upside play and maybe less of a projectability play. But uh, Jagger Furcus is a guy who's kind of expected to be available in that range around 25 when the Leafs pick. But uh, I mean, I, I kind of want to see it happen just to see the reaction when people realize that he weighs 154 pounds. Um, and to see, <laughs> to see the freak out. Yeah, and you can bet that there would certainly be a freak out from a, a certain sector of uh, Leafs Twitter if they if they use their first round pick on a, a 5'10", 150-pound winger. But it, again, it kind of comes down to like, this is a case-by-case sort of thing. Not all 5'10 players present the same risk as other 5'10 players and not all 6'2", 200-pound players uh, present the same kind of projectability as one another either. So I, I think there are a lot of elements to Jagger Ferguson's game that are extremely enticing, not the least of which is his ability as a shooter and ability to create his own shots. And as impressive as that is at the junior level, it's something that he's going to struggle with a little bit more as he climbs the ranks, especially if, if he struggles to kind of fill out physically and, things like that you know everyone always says these guys aren't finished products especially in terms of physical maturity and stuff but it's also hard to you know add 40 pounds of weight from the time you're 17 or 18 years old until you're you're breaking into the pro level right so that is something that'll be a consideration but in terms of maybe players who might be considered less uh, safe or someone who might present a little more risk in terms of their NHL projection, I could uh, I could get behind the Furcus pick just because of the the ability that he shows as a scorer, the way that he competes, even as a smaller player. It, yeah, he he's an electrifying talent, and uh, it, it as you said, it might be worth it just for the the freak out we get on Leafs Twitter. <laughs> Buddy, you haven't put on forty pounds since you were seventeen, so. You know all about it. I, I don't know if I've put on 40 pounds since I was 12, but. <laughs> um, and and I guess on the other side of that ledger, you know, in terms of guys who 
uh, probably a little bit more projectable if, if, you know, the upside isn't quite there, but not, not certainly a guy with no potential. Um, Owen Pickering is a guy who, you know, big defenseman, six, five, like just looking at just those, I mean, just what I told you specifically right there, uh, (laughs) six foot five defenseman. Uh, There you go. He's, he's in the top 15 right there. So he's not getting to 25, but if he did, uh, this seems like a guy who, you know, like that, that, frame is probably putting you in the NHL and he's a pretty solid skater. So that's not, uh, you know, necessarily the thing that's going to keep him out. Um, Even if he doesn't, you know, reach the heights like that, that could be a a solid kind of quote unquote safe pick if he's there at 25. Well, he's kind of like a combination of what we're talking about here. He's kind of a a really unique case in terms of having that upside, but also, you know, his frame and skating ability and things like that give him a, a relatively safe floor as well. So he's he's a really interesting pick uh, or prospect in this draft, and he's another player that's kind of been uh, sort of a, a pet prospect of mine over the course of the year. I've, I've really, really grown to, to appreciate Pickering's game the more I've watched him. Um, yeah, it, it, it's a really interesting debate because th- – there is some, you know, uh, an element of, of projecting what he eventually becomes with all the tools if he can put them together. But at the same time, as you said, that that combination of size and mobility, it, it almost gives him a safe floor as at least a third pairing defender. And, you know, still with the upside to, to grow into something more than that. And, uh, just want to hit on one more guy here for the Leafs as a possibility at, at number 25. Another Owen. Uh, Owen Beck has been kind of a, you know, you talked about pet projects. That's a guy that you really like. And, and I think that you're quite a bit higher on than than uh, a lot of the, the public sphere, right? Yeah. And I think he's been kind of a, a divisive player, you know, uh, in that public sphere. I, I have seen a, a lot of other people who rank him in a, a similar range to where I have him in the early 20s here. But as you said, I've also seen a lot of people who have him ranked, you know, closer to the middle of the second round or, or the back half of the second round. So I think he's he's kind of a, a player who sort of becomes a question of organizational philosophy when it, when it comes to drafting, right? And he's he's almost the, the, the perfect example for my stance uh, on what I would like to see the, the Leafs do with this pick. I think he's a player who might not have as much upside as, you know, a, a first line contributor at the NHL level. I mean, that's not to say that he can never get there because you, you never know. There's guys that get drafted in the, the fourth or fifth round that eventually turn into top six players. But he he feels like a, a really projectable player who is going to, at the very least, carve out a, a third line role in the NHL and, and probably not going to take that long to get there while still having a bit of upward mobility to, to grow into to something more than, than that. Um, I know a lot of people might kind of scoff at the idea of, of going with a, a safe pick. I know you get the ghosts of Frederick Gauthier kind of coming back when you talk about that. But not all safe picks are created equal, as I said earlier. There's things that separate those guys. And a guy like Freddie Gauthier, when he was drafted, was projected as you know, nothing more than really a a checking center. And there was never really much hope for him to become more than that. He never had the foot speed, didn't play with the kind of pace that you want from a, from a guy playing up your lineup. And I I think that Owen Beck kind of has those things. He, he, as much as he might be 
considered a, a safe, you know, low upside bet. I think that the pace that at which he plays the game and just kind of some of the the pro level habits that he has in terms of like playing inside checks and, and just constantly pressuring the opposition with his his speed and the routes that he takes and things like that it's not the same kind of safe pick as what we were fed when, when the Leafs drafted Freddie Goche, right? So he's a player that I really like and someone who to me is just really easy to picture as, you know, m- maybe not to the same level as a guy like Anthony Sorelli or whatever, but kind of in that mold, a, a guy who you can kind of pretty safely project to, to compete at the NHL level in relatively short order. Yeah. If, I mean, that, that was Fr- Freddie, the goat was a, a- chip and chase artist even in junior so like that's it's the way it's developed in 10 years right um so before you move on you know we're talking about leafs twitter here we're really going to get the gears if we don't talk about rucker mcgrory at all all right give her (laughs) well i i first of all the the rucker mcgrory hype train uh, amongst uh Leafs fans has is almost reached Matthew Nye's levels from from late last season. Uh, I I don't know exactly where it's all come from. Uh, I, maybe you know the picture of him wearing a Leaf shirt as a kid or whatever has kind of made some people gravitate towards him. Uh, I have him ranked twentieth on my list. I, I do think there is a chance that he c- could fall to twenty fifth or even beyond that. Uh, but he is a really complete player. I can see why people are kind of latching on to him. He, he, a guy who captained the NTDP squad this year. You know, he, he led the team in goal scoring, plays a physical game. He's just, just kind of a, a complete player who maybe lacks a bit of the, the pace and foot speed. But he's is kind of in the, the same mold as Beck in terms of being considered a relatively safe pick, but for different reasons, right? He doesn't have that same kind of that pace or, or the, the ability to constantly pressure opposing defenses like that. But he has a lot of other things that you could pretty safely project to the NHL. Just the way that he competes, the the, the way that he uses his hands around the net to, to free up space and create scoring opportunities for himself. It, he, he's a really intriguing player. And if he is able to add some pace and, and sort of improve his skating ability the way that he's vowed to do, he could end up significantly outplaying his eventual draft slot. All right. Uh, yeah, I'm excited to see what the Leafs do at 25. Do, do you think there's any chance that they trade down? Because it seems like the, the momentum is kind of leaning towards them, you know, making the pick. And um, I, I'm just taking a look. And, like, it, obviously it always depends on, you know, who's there at 25 by the time the pick comes around. You know, who, who's uh, – like, how does your list look? And it might kind of come down to uh, how does Arizona and Seattle's lists look? Because – I just took a look at kind of the teams some with of multiple the, seconds, the picks following yeah. the Leafs. Man, Arizona has seven picks between twenty-seven and sixty-seven. Seattle has five between thirty-five and sixty-eight. So those are two teams. Like if they are, are really horny on someone at twenty-five, um, maybe maybe the uh, the trade down option does surface. Yeah, well, and I don't think anyone who's followed this team would be surprised to see the Leafs trade down from twenty-five. Um, I, I do agree that it's kind of it feels like it's sort of leaning more towards them standing pat and making the pick. Uh, I, I don't think that they're going to trade it outright for like a roster player or anything like that. But I could see, you know, depending how the the, the way the board falls, 
you know, it wouldn't be the worst idea to to recoup another pick in a in a draft where you've only got three and you only made three picks in the last draft as well. So it, depending on how the board falls, I, I think it's a possibility. I don't expect them to trade back very far necessarily if, if they do that. Um, but if it comes down to it and there's a, a player on their board who's really sticking out at 25, I, I fully expect them to make the pick. So three picks for the Leafs in total uh, as it stands heading into the draft, uh, as we've been talking about the 25th overall, uh, also picking at 79 in the third round and then a seventh round pick uh, right towards the end of the draft at 218. Uh, not, not you know too much to get into with that one, but Nick, uh, talk a little bit about what they might do with the third round pick in terms of if they you know hang on to it and, and choose to use it and assuming you know things stay as they are pick wise um if they're picking at, at 79 uh would love to see them reach into the uh, the halifax mooseheads pipeline <laughs> a little bit uh, jordan dumay is a guy who really kind of fluctuates on, on draft boards um had a fantastic season for halifax massive season yeah and and you're pretty uh pretty hot on him right yeah and he, you know what he's a player who He's he's almost the kind of guy that will like test your your gumption in terms of of where you're going to rank him in in the draft just because of the, the way that he was able to produce this year you know albeit at the the QMJHL level where sometimes that that production should be taken with a grain of salt but he had one of the the most productive years for a draft eligible player in the CHL you know in recent memory I think he had something close to 110 points in 60 some games uh he is an undersized player he's not the most explosive skater for for a guy his size but he's just so smart and, and sees the ice so well and just puts himself in positions to generate offense you know at, at pretty much every turn at least at the Q level and that, and that's where it becomes really tough to kind of project these guys especially the smaller ones and you know we're talking about trying to project what's going to be available for the Leafs at 25 it becomes you know exponentially more difficult to project what's going to be available as you get into the second and third rounds right but he's the kind of player where sort of maybe more fits the what people would assume to be the the Leafs organizational philosophy in terms of drafting under Kyle Dubas you know undersized player with outstanding offensive skill and vision maybe we can work on his skating sort of idea but that's the kind of player that I'd be more comfortable taking a swing on in that range rather than, you know, maybe someone like as much as I like Jagger Furcus or whatever in with that first round pick. I think you can afford to take that swing later in the draft a little bit more than you can with the first round pick where you've almost got to guarantee yourself that you're going to get a contributing member for your team. We had our buddy Kyle Cushman on the last podcast talking about the Leafs system. You can go back and listen to that if you want to kind of get caught up on uh, types of seasons that some of the Leafs prospects had. And uh, Kyle was writing about some of the potential targets with this third round pick. I uh, wrote about Jordan Dumais, and I'm just stealing this from him. A uh, list of CHL players to score 100 points as a draft eligible over the past five years. Marco Rossi, Alex Lafreniere, Cole Perfetti. Arthur Kaliev, Jordan Dumais. So not a bad list for a guy you could potentially get in the third round. Pretty good company, yeah. 
Yeah. And just one other guy I wanted to, to pick your brain about quickly here in the third round who I've kind of uh, kind of has come onto my radar in the last few weeks. And I, I, I'm feeling the uh, uh, the the momentum build within me here for Nick Moldenhauer, oh, yeah. who <laughs> has the passion because he um, I, I don't know if you saw this, but he, he's talked about being a Leafs fan. He uh, was on the Pipeline show, great uh, junior hockey podcast to kind of keep in the loop with what's going on in the junior hockey world. Uh, he, he was on that recently and talked about being at Maple Leaf Square for game seven against the Bolts. And, uh, and he plays for the Chicago Steel. Obvious connections there, too. So, so t- tell us what you know about Nick Moldenhauer. Well, he's a guy that kind of another one that's sort of gained momentum as the season has gone on. He, he missed some time to begin the year, so he was a bit of a, a weight starter. But he put up really impressive numbers, was a consistent offensive force for Chicago once he did return to the lineup, you know, all the way down the stretch drive of the season. He's like, he's got great skill. He can execute moves with his feet moving, you know, just keeps the defense on their heels. He's got good vision. He can score on his own. He's just a really smart and skilled player. And I think that he's someone who. If he's someone who's playing in the CHL and wasn't hurt at the beginning of the season, we're probably talking about him more in the light of a potential first rounder. Uh, I, I think he's probably gone before seventy nine, um, but he's definitely a player that you know he he checks a lot of boxes for what the, the Leafs would be looking for. And then you've got the the obvious connection from the Chicago Steel with with Ryan Hardy, who we mentioned was just promoted to assistant GM. And again, the the pure unadulterated passion flowing through his veins yeah maybe i should bump him off a couple important. spots on my list because of that <laughs> I, I think so <laughs> uh all right well thank you sir appreciate you uh, unloading all of this draft knowledge upon us hey, happy to do it it's uh, it's what i've been uh, literally working on all year and uh, it, it was uh, it was a fun draft class to follow and just kind of get more familiar with as the season went on. And uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to Thursday and Friday and kind of seeing how everything shakes out. So folks can follow along with your coverage at uh, Dauber Prospects and your your list is published at theleafsnation.com, as we mentioned. And uh, you're going to be on the radio, right? You're going to be on uh, TSN 1050 this week before the draft? Yeah, uh, Thursday afternoon uh, ahead of the draft getting going, I'll be on uh, Gameplay with Matthew Cause, kind of talking about uh, what to expect from the first night of the draft and what might be there for the Leafs. Uh, I, I suppose if you've listened to this conversation, you, you, you might not have to listen to that one, but uh, tune in anyway. <laughs> tune in for sure. That's that, that's, li- that's live radio, bud. That's, there's no editing of your, your vape sounds on that one, so you gotta you got to be on your best behavior. I, I don't have to. A few other things I want to hit on before we wrap up here. Um, we, we haven't recorded since the NHL awards when Ma- uh, when Austin Matthews walked away with uh, the Hart uh, Trophy. The uh, I, I have it written down here, the Pearson Trophy. It's it's, it's always going to be the Pearson Trophy <laughs> to me, I, I think. Yeah, um, it, it, Ted Lindsay. The, yeah. uh, the, the Ted Lindsay Award. So um, big night for him. Uh, obviously, it's in the rear view now, but uh, pretty cool. I mean, I, I think we expected um, you know him to, to get a haul. Certainly, our, our futures bets going into the night uh, indicated as much. And uh, he had a good night. We had a good night. It, it was just good all around, right? Yeah, and uh, you know we're obviously going to get picked on as you know Keenan Thompson kind of did at the end of the show nice to see the Leafs win something in June but hey 
we don't get to fucking celebrate much. So I, I think you know, it's something that we, we really should kind of stop and appreciate for a minute. Austin Matthews had, you know, arguably the greatest season in franchise history. And just looking forward to what he's going to do for an encore. Uh, really great to see him get that honor. I, I thought it, it, I thought it was great to see him pick up both awards. You know, it shows that he's got the admiration of his peers as well as you know the the, the writers that voted on the heart. And, and honestly, I was a bit surprised by the the margin of victory for the heart trophy with, with the, how the voting. Oh yeah, ended he up walked going. away with it. He walked away with it. it. It wasn't as close as I expected it to be, or or as close as as we may have been led to believe in the weeks leading up to it. But yeah, I think beyond well-deserved and yeah, just great to see him be rewarded with, with those awards for putting up such an outstanding season. Yeah. Like you said, um, you know, it's nice to have something to, to celebrate. And uh, as you also said, you know, we don't get that a lot as Leafs fans, uh, which is why I was happy to celebrate another team or at least another player stanley cup uh in the last week or so <laughs> uh the colorado avalanche uh, prevail over tampa bay and nazem kadri is a stanley cup champion ladies and gentlemen i am so happy for that guy for his family um man just so many awesome moments for him all through the the playoff series he got to injure jordan binnington which is <laughs> one of my personal like dreams um just uh what a run what a run yeah no i mean i don't think you're gonna find a leafs fan who wasn't happy to see naz raising that cup up over his shoulders um you know i, I think obviously we would have all preferred to see him do it in the blue and white but yeah, he's the kind of guy who, who, you know, maybe sometimes to his own detriment and to the team's detriment, he really put it all on the line pretty much every night for this club. And yeah, it's it's you got to respect that. And I, I think that he's a he's a player who will have a, a a spot in the hearts of Leafs Nation for for as long as he plays. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, first uh, Muslim player to to win the Stanley Cup, which is which is really cool to see. So, love yeah, that. super cool. And uh, the cup is coming back to Cole Harbor. Yes, sir. We're going to maybe see a, a drunken Sidney Crosby if, uh, if Nathan McKinnon gets his way. That, that's right. That's, that's the hope, at least. Um, yeah, another, another, another cup parade for, for Cole Harbor. We've come a long way from the days of uh, Joe DePenta bringing the cup back to Cole Harbor back in 07. Uh, it's, now it's, the, the track is well-worn now. That's so. a deep cut. That's a real deep cut. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to that celebration. I, I went to the first Crosby cup parade, um, but, but didn't make it to the last two. So definitely got to be in attendance for McKinnon's first. I yeah. Think. Well, especially as a guy who, you know, you watched him right from the beginning, you saw him suit up for the Mooseheads, uh, plenty saw of times suit up and, for you know, Nova Scotia under 16, yeah, even the before that Canada winter games. Yeah. Yeah. I've been on that bandwagon for a long time. So it's, uh, it was really cool to see him win. Get to share that with his family and everything. Yeah, definitely a bit of Nova Scotia pride kind of coming through there watching yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. And um, one other first uh, to mention as well as, as this was just announced today, uh, obviously there's been a lot of movement in front offices uh, on benches as well. Lots of, uh, of hirings, firings. Uh, Mike Greer has become the first black general manager in the NHL as he takes over the uh, San Jose Sharks job uh which is pretty cool to see as well yeah the, the, another guy who was you know incredibly respected throughout his playing career and you know he, he's he's done it all the right way right from the time he was a player and and moving into 
to management. Uh, he, he's put in his time there. And uh, yeah, I, I'm really happy to see him get that opportunity. And hopefully it, it does a lot in terms of representation for other minorities and seeing that, you know, it doesn't matter where you come from or, or what color your skin is. If, if you've got the, the passion and the know-how and the, the work ethic to, to get to the, the top level, you can get there. Um, I, I, I got to say, I, I felt a little silly when I learned this on the 32 Thoughts podcast. I don't know if you've listened to the latest episode yet or not, but uh, if, if you haven't, maybe I'm going to blow your mind with this. Do you know who his brother is? I do. You do, because I didn't. And, and it's funny because I knew the name of the Miami Dolphins general manager was Chris Greer. I knew he was, you know, a, a black man. And, and I just I obviously just never kind of put two and two together to think that, oh, obviously, you know, career grinder and, and much respected veteran Mike Greer is obviously the brother of this NHL GM. But he, he's got <laughs> his family has yeah. a history of, of you know, um, being in, in football operations. And now he's uh, the, the first black GM in the NHL, which is pretty cool to see. So Yeah, and while there's not necessarily a ton of parallels to draw between football and hockey or whatever, the, the, the fact that he's got you know such a close member of his family to lean on in terms of experience running a professional sports franchise that you know it's just all the more benefit to Greer on his, on his journey to the to the top and getting to the GM's chair in San Jose yeah, pretty awesome um so the offseason is uh, fully fledged now my friend we will have the draft uh, here this weekend and then it's into uh, free agency next week so we'll uh, we'll have some great offseason content coming your way at some point but uh, I I'm I'm heading out to Calgary and Vancouver for a week starting Friday. So I don't know what we're going to do. Um, I mean, maybe you can just bank on the fact that there's going to be some crazy Leafs moves that we'll be staring at from afar because we can't uh, actually get together to, to record anything <laughs> on it. But um, we'll see. Maybe maybe we'll do a Twitter space or something as I'm f- four hours uh ahead of you guys <laughs> all right uh th- thanks buddy um I- enjoy the draft i know it's uh, out of the frying pan into the fire for you with uh, you know you just finished the fishing season and now it's draft time but uh, i'm sure you'll have a lot of fun the next couple nights it's definitely been uh, not only like a, a hectic year in terms of the the added responsibility i took on in terms of scouting and evaluating players this year but uh, the, the last couple of months with with uh, being on the water every day and also trying to zero in on all this stuff and get some content out it's been a really hectic time but uh, i'm really looking forward to to seeing what happens on thursday and friday and, and how the leafs roster is going to shake up beyond that all right we uh, we watch with bated breath <laughs> yeah I, did, that, I didn't mean to make a fishing pun, but I guess I did. <laughs>